0: happening guys happy friday and thank you for joining another special episode of your welcome look it's a jam packed show and coming up today Sean O'Malley found a new opponent the goat gave a strong opinion and I'll also tell you the entire backstory between John Jones and myself that ended in John blocking me on Twitter that's at the end of the show but first let's start off with some news about Conor McGregor Rumor comes out, Conor McGregor might have a staph infection. Where does the rumor come from? Picture of Conor, topless. You zoom in on a couple of dots. That could be a staph infection. Well, that's true. That could be. Staph infections are usually a couple, two, three dots near each other. Staph infections, very common. I'm hesitant to speak on this because there are varying staph infections, right? Vinny Moglies got a staph infection. A doctor inserted a dirty needle. Like, he saw the needle as the doc was putting it in him. He's thinking, Doc, why did that not come out of a cap? And why was there not a, a swab? And, like, as he's having these thoughts, the needle goes into him. And sure enough, he gets a staph infection. But he was hospitalized. He could have lost, through amputation, a body part. Like, this was very serious. He could have died. You guys have heard of all sorts of staph. MRSA. Now, I bring this to you because a staph infection for me, very common. I mean, you get them a lot in practice rooms. I came through restrooms. You get them a lot. Soon as it's identified, don't touch anybody for 48 hours. 48 hours on antibiotics. You can now get back on the map because you're no longer contagious. And within a week, you don't even have the, the dots or the marks, okay? How accurate all of that medical stuff... I'm telling you what we did in the University of Oregon in 1998. It could be 72 hours now. It could be 96. It could be 24 because medicine's gotten better. But this is my frame of reference. However... In my experience with some of these staffs that you, oh, yeah, staff infection, you blow it off, versus the MRSA, the what Vinny went through, the hospitalizations, the ones where people can die. The difference is instant, okay, instant. Like, you don't start, in my experience, with a staff infection that then progresses, and then all of a sudden you're hospitalized. It's right off the bat. Now, how do we know that Connor has the one that we're sh- shrugging the shoulders? Because even if he has it, we're... Pretend that he has it, right? Little picture on the internet. We're trying to make guesses. Let's pretend that he has it. The mere fact that he was out, that he was training, that he had his shirt off for anybody to take the picture in the first place tells at least me through my experiences with staff that he's he's got the latter one. A couple days of antibiotics and you brush it off. And I only bring that to you because it is kind of a fun talking point. And staff can do a number of things to you, as we just discussed. It's a very, very sliding scale. The antibiotics that you take to fight staff can have direct impacts on your conditioning. Did you guys know that? Many high school uh, kids deal with this because acne. They've got acne in high school, so they go to a dermatologist. They get put on an a antibiotic. That antibiotic as a side effect that you can go and Google and just read about can affect your cardiovascular system. So you get these high school athletes that are trying to clear themselves up for school, and all of a sudden, they take a decline in their sports. They're directly related. Directly related. So does that mean anything for the Conor fight? Do these antibiotics matter? When he gets the antibiotics, does he cross-reference it with USADA before he first starts taking it? Does he even have staff in the first place? You want to know something? I had a fight, and the day before, I'm in the hotel room. Now, fighters have what's called a skin check, which is just that. You will show up in your underwear, and you will hold your arms out and spin around, Doctor will check, do a skin check to make sure you don't have something like a staph infection. You might remember there was a fighter on the Ultimate Fighter that had herpes. Now, herpes sounds, I mean, what an embarrassing word. Because you automatically think of the sexually transmitted disease that you read about in high school books. There's two kinds of herpes, A and B. And B is the one that you get, much like staff, Very common in practice rooms, right? Dark areas that lack ventilation and uh, on the mats. So he has herpes, but herpes is very contagious. He gets called out in front of the world. Now, of course, the world doesn't understand that there's an A and a B. So poor Paul is sitting there embarrassed, and then he gets sent home because he is contagious. I mean, anything that could have gone wrong for this poor guy. I only say that to you because another one that's very common is ringworm. And the only thing gross about ringworm is that it's got the word worm in the name. Ringworm, red, round, and raised. Red, round, and raised, and it itches you a little bit. Likely, you have ringworm couple of ways, medicine over-the-counter, or I apologize, prescription, called Diflucan. You take one, it'll cure the ringworm, and it will stop you from getting ringworm for six months. You can go into a store, all the way down to a 7-Eleven, and get something called Lotrum. Now, Lotrum is very weak, and you're going to have to put it on constantly, not five and six and eight and ten times a day for about seven days. It will take care of it. The other thing that you can do, and this is a Hail Mary pass, is you can bleach it. Let me explain. I have a fight on Saturday. I've already weighed in. It's Friday. I break out with ringworm. And not just one, which I've gotten my entire life. When I get ringworm, it's one. I get like seven of them. All over. I got to go on TV the next night with my shirt off. And I got to pass a skin check to get there. I'm desperate. I go for the Hail Mary. My sister runs to the store. She grabs Clorox bleach and a Q tip. Come back, you dip the Q tip in the Clorox bleach and you rub it into the ringworm. Just keep rubbing it. You'll feel it. It will burn. It will burn and that's how, you, and it's gone. It will burn right there. You'll burn it off and it's gone. Well, like any burn, okay, that's just gonna make more of a red mark for the world to see when your shirt is off. So I'm a little self conscious going into this. I know what's going on. I don't wanna be in the spot, but I got a job to do. Dominic Cruz sends out a tweet, and he references my opponent, Rampage. And he says, uh, Rampage doesn't need to worry about Chael's fighting ability near as much as he needs to worry about that ringworm. <laughs> Funny line by Dominic Cruz. I was so embarrassed. And hey, what do they say about the truth? It's the truth that hurts. Dominic got me. Well, as you all know, Conor McGregor is headlining next weekend's UFC 264 in Las Vegas. Another guy on the main card, Sugar Sean O'Malley, who I'd like to take a couple of minutes to talk about. Sugar Sean O'Malley, guys, do you like him? Have you heard of him? Would you watch him? Have you watched him? Are you excited to see him again? Any one of those questions, any way that you want to answer it, all leads you to my point that going out and competing in higher placement spots on the card, the highest profile spot that you can get, are positives towards getting your career moving forward. Nothing of what I just said had anything to do with a ranking. So Sean O'Malley ends up opponentless. Reveals that his opponent is out and he's looking for one. He would like to remain on the card He likes the placement. He likes the the other people that are on the card. He thinks there's gonna be a lot of attention He's in training camp. He's ready to go. He wants to honor his side of the deal. Bring me somebody. Okay So the UFC has brought him somebody now when I tell you sugar Sean O'Malley You all know who that is and most of you are fans But even if you're haters, you know who the hell I'm talking about and you acknowledge he matters You acknowledge he is in a place in his career that few ever reach, and Sean's not even where he's going, I'm talking about where he is, is a spot that few ever reach. And when he's looking for, now, he's going to fight a guy. I would tell you who he's going to fight. I don't know the gentleman's name, and that is not meant to be a knock on the guy. I've only read it one time. He's making his debut into the UFC. He's debuting into Sean. Okay, fine. Sean accepted the fight. But all we ever hear from these guys that are alleged top guys, that are alleged stars, that are allegedly headed somewhere, is all the thought and process that goes into determining who their next opponent is going to be and who that it should be. And it keeps on coming back to a ranking, but those guys are not as big Not as well known and does not have the opportunities of Sugar Sean O'Malley. So why is Sean O'Malley accepting a guy who isn't ranked? I don't know if Sean's ranked. I don't know where to find the rankings and none of that is shtick or meant to be funny. I would assume Sean O'Malley is ranked real close to number 10. Anywhere from 8 to 12. I would assume, if I'm right on my assumption, I guarantee whoever he's fighting is not ranked at all because he hasn't qualified for a ranking because he's yet to perform in the octagon. Before you go and correct me on some of those things, which possibly you can do, maybe he's ranked number seven, maybe I don't know what he's ranked. I just know he's a star. And I know where he's at in his career is not where he's going to end. Where he is at right now, he is already starting to have a level of calling shots. Well, how come he accepted a fight with the, I mean, that sounds like a really big risk to me. I've seen this backfire miserably because perception is reality in all of life, but none of that has ever been more clear than this sport. Who's the best fighter? Whoever you've heard of the most. Who is the greatest fighter of all time? Whoever the most popular guy is. That is how those lists work. If anybody had any level of credibility, they would come in onto their pound-for-pound list or their greatest-of-all-time list with some guy that they saw in the gym who never made it. They claim in basketball there's Jordans and Colbys all over the country on playgrounds. They claim this. This is a belief. But they didn't have the grades. They couldn't move to the next level. The NCAA has something called a clearinghouse. They didn't meet the requirements. They didn't have the support of their parents. They didn't have coaches and people around them to get out there in the uniform and do this in front of people. Basketball has claimed for decades that the best players in the world are unrecognized. They're unfound. Or they're in countries that don't specialize in basketball and they can never get to the U.S., which has the only basketball organization that can get you any attention anyway, called the NBA. This is what basketball speculates. So I only offer for you, it's a very dangerous fight for Sugar Sean, in my opinion, perception being reality. The perception being that this guy who has never Fought in the UFC and is making a debut is in way over his head. That's the same perception people had of a young man named Darren Till when Cowboy Cerrone decided to step in there with him in a main event on very short notice. Cowboy's going to go destroy this guy and he's going to get absolutely no credit for it because nobody knows who this young man named Darren Till is now. Like a fine wine, that fight makes a lot more sense over time. It has aged very well and we're able to understand what it is that we saw. But as I see it, and it's all all your opinion. It's however you want to look at it. I guess the way I would look at it if I was in that spot, that's a bigger risk for Sean. But if it's good enough for Sean O'Malley, who is way ahead of you other guys in terms of notoriety, and he's not talking about I need a ranked guy, he's saying bring me anybody. Bring me a guy. And he's right. He is right. He will maintain his placement on the card, which is in the pay-per-view portion. He will work himself closer to co-main events and main events, which are far more important than your ranking. Far more important. And I can never forget the night that Daniel Cormier fought Patrick Cummins. Pat Cummings had never been in the UFC. Daniel Cormier was supposed to fight for a world championship. He risked everything. Daniel won. Daniel beat a guy who was ranked lower than him. And there's always a belief that you fight a guy who's ranked lower than you and you win, you can't move up. It's just not a reality. Daniel fought Pat Cummings in his debut. Daniel beat Pat Cummings. Daniel's next fight was for the world championship. What you need to do is get the highest placement on the card that you can get against anybody. You want the easiest guy in the highest spot on the card and then beat him. Your coaches and those people around you that continue to tell you this is a game of rankings are wrong. They'd be right if it was number one versus number two. If this was a tournament with a competitive architecture and this semifinal takes on the winner of this semifinal, I'm not sitting here arguing with you. History argues with you. If you're anywhere in the top five, you are eligible for a championship fight anytime. We've seen it go all the way down to 10. It is not number one against number two. So if you're ranked number three and you think you have to fight two or one or none of this makes sense, history disagrees with you. And if you think you can get a lower guy, you should be trying to get that fight. You should always be trying to get a fight with the easiest guy for the largest paycheck. And whoever it is getting in your head and telling you this is about numbers or rankings, they're so close to the trees, they can't see the forest. You see that in this sport all the time. Guys that get so close and they get so locked in and they think everybody else knows what's going on. Nobody else knows what's going on. Your fans and your viewers that are the only thing that drives this forward have lives and jobs. They expect you all to figure it out. They don't know. Floyd Mayweather very seldomly fought the top guy. Sometimes he needed to. But if he ever did it, it was one time a year, and then he would go pick opponents. I'm only offering him as one example. But if Sugar Sean is about, and Sugar Sean never said, give me a rank guy, give me this guy. He didn't see anybody's name. He said, give me an opponent. The UFC chose to bring in an unknown, which is a highly risky spot. Fine. But Sean said yes, and if it would have been a number one ranked guy, it would have been a number 100 ranked guy. Sean did this right. He looked at himself, what's best for me, which is I, Sean O'Malley, am in training camp. I am prepared to be on weight on this date. I am prepared to compete under the unified rules on this date. If those things are true, what does it matter? who the opponent is. If it's good enough for Sean O'Malley, you might want to start revising what's good enough for you. Sean O'Malley, as I just laid out, is a rising star in the sport. Coming up in a moment, I'll talk about some guys who are much bigger stars than him right now. But first, here's a word about today's sponsor, 8Sleep. Guys, I got to tell you, I'm not Mr. Big Spender, by the way. I don't think you would consider Chael cheap, and I certainly won't mooch. If we go out, you get a tab, I'll get a tab, but you know what I don't mind spending money on is a good night's sleep. I truly find that to be an investment, truly. If I can get a better night's sleep and be a happier person with more energy, I can justify the covers. I can justify the pillow. It's also a one-time buy. I don't know that I've ever had to go back. I don't know how long you're supposed to keep a pillow, how long you're supposed to keep sheets, but I really don't remember sheets ever getting holes in them or pillows ever going bad. True story by myself. Now, I also like technology. Sometimes you can get intimidated by technology and in the world of sleeping cool, this has been like a scientific game that the companies have been playing for years. Buy these sheets for a cooler night's sleep. Some guys are promising they have a mattress that is like anti-body heat absorbing, thus giving you a cooler night's sleep. Okay, fine. However any of that all works, and believe me, I've tried it all. Maybe you're like me. I finally went to something called 8sleep.com, okay? Now, 8sleep.com is an actual scientific technology where you're not counting on some kind of mystery foam that has like magical abilities to wave a wand over you when you're sleeping and cool your bed. It actually cools the bed with water. You set the temperature after you set this up and it runs water through the cooling pod to whatever temperature you like. Which by the way, I control my side of the bed with my iPhone. My wife can control hers. By example, if she wanted to sleep at 88 degrees, meaning go hotter, she could. If I wanted to sleep at 55 degrees, I could. And she wouldn't be bothering me and I wouldn't be bothering her. I only offer you that because it's ran over your iPhone and this thing sets up really fast. I'm not one of those jerks that tells you to go get something. Oh, and it's so easy to sign up, but then it's not. It is. It is, or I'd say it wasn't from the beginning. It's easy to sign up. They will deliver this right to your house in a box. You will take the box into your bedroom and then open the box and boom, a king-size bed pops out or a queen-size bed or whatever size that you would like with the cooling pod. It's got Wi-Fi technology. It literally has a hotspot where you go into your phone. It brings, it's got its own Wi-Fi device. I don't know how this works. I'm just telling you that it does. Guys, go to 8sleep.com are welcome. Check out the Pod Pro Cover. You got to know what it's called. This is called a Pod Pro Cover, not just a mattress. I'm telling you about the Pod Pro Cover. You're going to save $200 for going and knowing to say you're welcome. That's eightsleep.com. you're welcome. 200 bucks off, which I might add is pretty generous by me Jeremy Stephens was weighing in on Jake Paul versus Tyron Woodley and by the way guys Whether the fun on this has started or not or you want to resist it quit trying to resist it It's gonna be fun. Let's just call it for what it is. All right. There's when Paul fights. It's fun There's something there for sure and Tyron is taking a risk which is fun. So sit back and enjoy this. Don't quit being dicks about it, because you're not being a jerk to Jake, who you want to call a YouTube star, right? You want to. That's supposed to be an insult. Lawyers do this with each other. You have a lawyer, and then you have a trial attorney, right? But somewhere there's like you get lost in it. It's supposed to be an insult. Either, they got a degree in Judas Prudence. Nice job teasing them. The guy's a success. Whether it came. From parking cars in a swimming pool on YouTube or not. He made it. And he's fun. Jeremy Stevens was weighing in on this. He said, man, there's a chance that Jake knocks Tyron out. And he finished the thought by saying, "Talk about Jake Paul, he's a freak athlete. Well, I'm seeing some of that too. I am seeing some stuff. And it goes back to the Nate Robinson fight. I didn't see a whole lot. In the Ben Askren fight. I saw that he had a power. I saw that he could deal with some nerves. They were in the locker room for a meaningful period of time with all sorts of shenanigans going on in the main room. He dealt with it. Whether you observed that or not, or thought that that was a bonus or a takeaway, it is. When you're in the back and you're about to fight Ben Askren, who only two men have ever got the jump on, and you can deal with that for six and a half hours why, Bieber is out in the auditorium singing to a crowd of nobody. I mean, right, the whole thing's just weird. He dealt with it anyway. The Nate Robinson fight, though, I was able to see skill. Uh, I understand that Nate didn't fully know how to box. That isn't the point. Jake did. And the thing that I could see with Jake that I took away it was his feints. As simple as that looks, when he was doing feints, he kept those. It takes a lot of energy. Believe it or not, it takes a lot of energy, takes timing, but it takes a ton of practice to learn how to feint a guy, to learn how to flinch a guy, get a reaction and come and attack. He was doing this to Robinson. And while he was having his way with Nate, Jake didn't know he was going to have his way. He didn't know those shots were going to land, and he went out and he set them up appropriately. So I am also seeing some major skill. It's hard for me to accept, no matter how much you love boxing, In this short of a period of time, even if you win in the maximum amount of time, which is twice a day, every single day with taking Sunday off, and he's at that age where his body could hold up and he could do that, even if you were doing that, I have a hard time believing you could close the gap on somebody of T. Wood's caliber. Doesn't mean he can't do it. I didn't think he could do it against Ben. And when you do listen to what Jeremy Stevens said, that he's a freak athlete, he might be. I mean, he might. I have to include the word "might." I can't say for sure he's not, and I haven't seen enough to tip my hat to him quite that far yet. He might be a freak athlete. He's got a rare power, you know. Knocking out a person is very hard to do, particularly when that person knows the rules. All right, it's not like they, these guys were in a department store. One guy's trying on slacks, and the other guy comes up and blasts him. Knocking somebody out who knows the rules. Who, by the way, has big gloves on, all they gotta do is put their chin down, and it'll it'll let them survive some moments. You gotta flinch them, you gotta fake them, you gotta get a reaction to get those hands away from the chin, come up over the top. And there's a lot of moving parts there. I can remember when I first started hit a heavy bag, and I was just a little kid. I was nine and ten years old. I used to watch Sugar Ray, I used to watch Iron Mike, I had a black pair of underwear, and I had black socks, I didn't have I didn't have trunks or boots, but that's what Mike used to wear to the ring. Mike used to come out in black shorts and black boots. So i put on my black socks and my black underwear, and I'd go in the living room, and I'd be boxing around. I'd have nothing but a towel over my neck. Mike Tyson never wore a robe to the ring. He cut a hole in a towel and stuck it on. His opponent would come out in a $20,000 uh, robe. Champion never did. So I would do these things. I'd be in my living room by myself, but you know, I had my own little fantasies. My father would catch me, and he'd sit and watch and told me how good I looked, but I needed to you know, give me some adjustments. Little kid. But I share this with you because when I first started hitting a heavy bag, I realized at nine years old, I'm tougher than Mike Tyson. I realized at nine years old, I naturally had stronger hands than Sugar Ray Leonard, the guys I looked up to. Now, the reason I knew that is I watched those guys hit the heavy bag on TV. And they always had to wrap their hands up. And they even had to put gloves on. I didn't have to do any of that. I go right in there, bare knuckle. Bop, bop. I do the same thing they were doing. I was tougher than they were. Well, now I turn 14 and 15 years old and I start to actually get into this a little bit and I start to get a trainer and a coach. I could never hit a heavy bag without wraps on. The reason I could get away with it at nine years old is because I was hitting it about this hard. I didn't know what I was doing. So it wasn't that my hands were stronger or I was better than Mike and and Leonard together. I didn't know what I was doing. I would never in a million years hit a heavy bag without wrapping my hand very well and putting gloves on. Hold the thought. I'm just saying, you know, the way your mind can play tricks on you. Clayton Hires, my trainer, got three boys. One of the boys, and I believe it was Teeny, I believe it was his oldest, but one of the boys, they're sitting on the couch, they're watching boxing. He had done this many times when they watched boxing. The son, tell Clayton, tell his dad how easy this was, how he could do it, how it's not as impressive and it doesn't require as much work as you think. Now, I understand where Teeny's coming from. Because I used to think I hit harder than Mike Tyson when I was in the fourth grade. All because of this glove and hand debate, right? So Clayton finally had enough of it. He tells his son, you understand this is three minutes a round, right? You understand there's 12 rounds. He gets him to commit to all these different things. You understand there's somebody trying to hit you back. You understand the world's watching. He gets teeny to commit to all these different things. He says, all right, son, stand up. I want you to throw as many punches as you can at the air with your feet planted but you're gonna do it for 30 seconds. So Teeny pops up and Clayton sets a watch and says go. 30 seconds later, Teeny had changed his mind completely. He said, Pops, I am sorry. He was exhausted. He barely got all these punches out in 30 seconds. He could barely even do it. It was one of these things where until you try it, and I think we're all guilty to some regard, right? You watch gymnastics on TV the one time a year it's on, which is the Olympic trials or the world championships or the NCAA championship. You don't realize how hard that stuff is until you try to go upside down on your hands and land keeping your feet together. It's just one of those things that you can see on TV and you can come to one conclusion But then when you get out there to do it, it's a total nether. And I only bring that to you. I fought 50 men. I got one knockout. And I will tell you, as the guy with the knockout, he wasn't out. The guy that I, one guy on my record, they called a knockout. He was not out. It just got called a knockout. Knocking somebody out is very hard to do. Very, very hard to do. You have to have a natural power. You can improve your power in the gym, but you have to be somebody who waves the magic wand over us as human beings has to choose that you have power. You then also have got to have guts. you got to believe in your conditioning. you got to believe in your skills. And the only way you're going to get there isn't through being delusional. It's from accomplishing certain feats in the room that apparently Jake Paul is accomplishing. This whole act of being confident and he'll box anybody, the gig is up when you step in there with Ben Askren who had two world championships and made an Olympic team. The gig is up when you step in there with Tyron Woodley, who is going to go into the Hall of Fame someday. It's real. Is he as good as he thinks he is? That's between those boys. But that's what this is about. This is no longer about a show. This is no longer about entertainment. This is no longer about some prick with an audience that steps into a sport that he doesn't belong. Those days are gone. you got to let that go. And if you can't let that go, not only are you being unfair to Jake, you're not going to enjoy it. We have the right to enjoy it. If we're fans that transfers over to customers and we're going to give up our time and we're going to part with a few bucks, we have the right to enjoy it. Guys, don't get in your own way on this one. This is fun. And when you start having guys like Jeremy Stevens, who has the right to his opinion, come out and vouch for what he's seeing in Jake Paul against the former world champion in T-Wood, there's something here. There's something here. Think what you want about it. I'm just encouraging you. Don't have this mental block. A lot of the questions around Jake are already answered. Whether you liked him or not, he passed the test. We're now down to, is he as good as he thinks he is? It's between those boys. A little bit of time, a little bit of space. That time and space are going away. So Jake Paul is fighting Tyron Woodley. And T. Wood is one of the best welterweights to ever do it, no doubt. But two guys that are even better, GSP and Kamara Usman. Oh, the goat has spoke. George St. Pierre was asked, who is the greatest fighter active, right? So not greatest of all time. Who's the greatest fighter active, which is a little bit of a unique question. I mean, they changed one ingredient, but I liked it. I've never heard it asked that way. Okay, I'm in. Who's he going to say? He says Kamaru Usman. And you kind of have to, right? Do you guys have a different answer? Who would it be down to? You're probably going to go, okay, it's got to be champions, so Usman or Adesanya. That's, I, I would guess that if we got 100 fight fans together, I, I would guess that those guys dominate. It's going to be one of those two. But it doesn't have to be because you don't have to look at champions. right? You could look at Covington, by example. You could look at the number one contender. You could look at Bobby Knuckles, just by example. Great fighters. Used to have belts, don't have them right now. They can still be in discussion. It's, it's one of those tough things, but... You kind of have to say Usman, don't you? There's there's no known weakness. There is no place, if you were to get experts together, Clayton Hires, Javier Mendez, Matt Hume, Greg Jackson, experts, Trevor Whitman. All right, guys, not saying we can do it, but where do we beat Usman? Everyone's going to be stuck. No one's going to say, well, you got you to put him on his back. Oh, you got to get him against the fence. Oh, you want to keep him right at range. Shut those kicks down. Keep him in nice and tight. Oh, clinch with the guy. There's nowhere you can do it. Oh, you got to get him in the fourth round. You know he always has bad fourth rounds. Ah, uh, get get him get him early. He's a slow starter. There's nowhere you can do it that we know. I don't know of a weakness. I don't remember a round that Usman lost, aside from against Covington. Right, that was two to two going into the fifth. I don't remember a round. He won them all against T-Wood. I'm trying to think. I know they gave Masvidal all around when they fought in Fight Island, but just so you understand how judges work, once the fight's done, right? You got a five, a five round contest. You've already marked three for one guy. You are now just out of human nature, much more likely to tip your hat to the other guy out of kindness, out of respect. What's the point in saying he lost every round? Why can't I give him a round? I don't change the outcome. Now, judges would never admit that. They don't know that they do it. They're human beings, though. This would be human nature. I bring that to you because it's false. That did not happen. Mosvral did not win a round against Uzman, regardless of what the scorecards in the history books say. I can't think of a round that he did lose. He must have somewhere. Someone must have got over on him. It wasn't RDA. I remember that fight. That was 5-0. I mean, I'm just, this is all off the top of my head. Came through the ultimate fighter, you know, most of those were two round content. He didn't lose any rounds there. When did Usman lose a round? It's had to have happened, but damn, that's dominant. And when the greatest of all time weighs in, that's how you get that, right? To be the man, you got to beat the man. But in a greatest of all time discussion, argument, that's all it is. They're words. You don't throw a punch, you don't enter a tournament, there's no architecture. So to to be the man, you got to beat the man. He just got the nod from the man. And George is a tremendously hard guy to say he wasn't the greatest when you're arguing on paper. Not only did he do it, and as long as he did it, not only did he right every wrong, not only did he come back to a different weight class and grab it again, he also beat the original generation that he walked into, his generation, and then the future generation, Right? When he beat Johnny Hendricks, who Johnny then goes on and grabs the belt and runs with it, that then represents that he beat the next generation after him, the next group of guys. It wouldn't matter if Johnny held that belt for a day or for a decade. If he grabs the belt after George left and George beat him, George gets that credit. So how do you beat that? I mean, some of that's just luck or opportunity might be a better word. An opportunity to fight these guys at the right. He's going to get that opportunity, but he did, so he's hard to beat then he went through him a second time it was the second time that is now the biggest trap that you're going to get stuck in if you try to say somebody was greater than george usman is on his way to doing that that's what the rematch with mosval began that's what the rematch with colby is going to continue that is what appears to be next should he get past Kobe, and he and Leon get in there again. If Usman cleans that division out once and then he cleans it out a second time, he automatically gets the greatest of his era, which is more than anybody could hope for. He becomes the greatest of all time And cleaning it out a second is going to be a very strong argument because then you start to talk about, well, were the guys better today or were they better in yesteryear? And why people tend to say that people came before them were better, it's just not true. It's just not true. Nobody was better 20 years ago than they are today in any sport. And you'll hear that about people that try to say Jordan is better than LeBron. You're not complimenting Jordan and you're not insulting LeBron. And one of those two was fully your goal. You did not want to give it to LeBron or you have nostalgia against Jordan. What you are effectively doing is saying that the sport of basketball stopped 30 years ago. You insulted the entire sport. It's just not real. It's It's just simply not true. So that debate and that conversations get a little bit stronger. But I think that Usman should be very proud of himself. I think that it's a tremendous compliment that he just got handed. But I don't think that George was looking to gain any favor. I believe that George answered the question straight. I'd love to hear what you guys have to say. But if I was to tell you who's the greatest fighter competitive right now, you gotta go Usman. Now, as I promised you earlier, I want to wrap up the show for the week by giving you guys, my loyal listeners, the full behind-the-scenes story between the beef of John Jones and I. So if you're on a walk, In the kitchen, on a train, in the garden, wherever you are, listen up. John Jones has blocked me on Twitter. How did we get here, you might ask. Okay, you know what? Let me think. Let me think how we got here. The first time I ever met John Jones, we were at a hotel in Las Vegas. I was with Matt Lindland. Matt and I had just finished a training session. There was a hot tub outside. And it was raised up. I mean, we were like 30 floors up. This was one of the great hot tubs. You could sit in a hot tub and and see a view. Anyway, Matt and I finish our workout by ducking in there. There's a long, lanky kid. He introduces himself. His name's John Jones. And he says, I'm thinking about getting into this. 19, 20-year-old guy. Couldn't have been nicer. I actually brought that up to John Jones one time. He didn't remember it. He didn't remember us meeting there. But that's the first time I've ever met him. Next thing I know, I'm in some kind of a dust-up with John. And it was a little bit of a, of a smile and a wink. I had done, there was a show called UFC Tonight. I was the number one contender, 185 pounds, but I was the number one contender. And I went on the show and I said, I am the number one contender, but I have not chosen at what weight class yet. And if I was George St. Pierre or John Jones, I'd be swallowing real deep right about now. That's a quote. Now, of course I'm getting ready. I'm in my Anderson phase. I, I know what I'm doing, but I'm I'm going after these two guys cuz they got good names. So I see John backstage in an event, dressed up. I want to say he was the commentator for the Fox team that night, but he was dressed up in a suit and I passed him and he stops me. He goes, "Hey, Chale. Do I really need to be swollen deep right about now?" And I said something. It was it was friendly. I said something like, "Yeah. Yeah, you should." He smiled, and he goes off and does his job. I go about my day. I don't have any interaction with John Jones for a period of time after that. And the next thing you know, I'm a light heavyweight. I'm in the weight class. I'm not, not the number one contender. Go back on this show, UFC Tonight, and I dismissed John. I dismissed him. It, w- it was in October at some point, and I said I could take his belt like pushing a kid down on Halloween and taking his candy but I'm not interested in him. Now, this is all that I've said about John, but it, his feathers were up. And you got to understand why that might be commonplace right now in the sport. I hadn't started. I hadn't gotten this whole thing going yet, right? This was, this was a real shot, as light as that might be. Push him down and take his candy. I could take his belt like I could push him down and take his candy. Because he was young. Don't forget, John was the youngest champion of all time. He's like 21, 22 years old. So I'm dismissing his youth. It's lighthearted. It's not all that big of a deal. But it's what it got everything started. That bothered him. And all of a sudden, I'm in the division. So who's going to fight John? Where do I play into this? My teammate Dan Henderson is going to fight John Jones. My teammate gets hurt. I get a call on short notice. Fight gets made. It's going to be called UFC 151. Off you go. I never would have had a title fight. Never even would have pretended for you guys that I deserved one. I, didn't. I hadn't fought in the division. I get it. A lot of studs in there. Gustafson was in there. and Henderson was. I'm trying to think of the top guys at that time. I'm having to go back. Good fighters. DC was flirting with coming to the division. Maybe he'd already entered it. Rashad was in there. Good fighters. So because John refused to fight me, and John refused to fight me because it was short notice and I was a southpaw, he believed that because Dan Henderson and I were such good friends and training partners, that I knew for a meaningful period of time and had been preparing for him, and that Dan and I had concocted a scenario where we know I'm going in, but we're going to wait till the absolute last minute for Dan to pull out so that the UFC has nobody else to put in, and that would increase my chances of getting this fight of which I knew about and I've been preparing for. Now, he's not totally wrong to come up with that conspiracy. I mean, that that is a fathomable and possible. I will just share with you that just didn't happen. In fact, I didn't even train for Dan with Dan for that camp. He was in California. He was in California. I'm out here in Oregon. That just didn't happen, but because John refused the fight, that built the interest in the fight. And John's coach was very helpful, Greg Jackson. Greg Jackson came out publicly and spoke on it and said, John accepting that fight with Shale on eight days' notice would be the biggest mistake of his career. Now, in the world of street cred, I just got it. And I knew how I was feeling at that time, and I knew with age, and I knew with some of my experiences, and I knew never being at 205 pounds, I was not as confident inside as I'm coming out saying that I could push this kid down and take his candy, right? Take his belt like I would a kid on Halloween with his candy. I didn't have that same confidence, but apparently I sold it pretty well. Apparently I presented it that I did, because it got a lot of attention. So... I concocted a plan. You haven't heard this story before because I've never I've never told you guys this story. I concocted my own plan to get this fight. Cuz when I didn't get it, John's next fight ended up being against Vitor Belfort. I wanted that fight and I fought for it. I lost, right? I'm behind the scenes. I fought for that fight. I lost out to Vitor. And so now I'm really putting a plan together. I'm never going to lose again, particularly in the bureaucracy and the politics of this sport, which I understand better than anybody. I'll never get beat again, so I put my plan together. I make my moves. And a big part of my plan actually had to do with an executive at a company called FX. FX was hosting the Ultimate Fighter at that time. Ultimate Fighter being the biggest vehicle in the sport at that time. May still be. Definitely was back then. Generally had championship matches if they could get them. And I knew that they had an interest in me. So my way of getting this fight didn't have to do with the media. It didn't have to do with heckling or calling out or getting the interest of Johns. And it didn't even have to do with going to and asking or begging of Dana. I met this executive. And I knew when I met this gal, we had made conversation and she said, I actually work for FX and I actually oversee the Ultimate Fighter. Boom, here's how I'm going to get in. I'm going to impress her, quietly. Never told you guys this story. I'm going to quietly impress her. I'm going to try to make her think I'm interesting. I'm going to be charming, a guy that belongs on TV. That's what I'm going to do because if I do and she makes the phone call, we want him on The Ultimate Fighter, I have a good chance that it's going to be opposite John. Boom, there's my title opportunity. So, my plan is hatched. I move forward with it. It worked. She liked me. Okay. Told you, there's politics in the sport, right? There's always a game being played. How well are you going to play it? It works. She wants me on The Ultimate Fighter. Now, she doesn't know I got this heat with John Jones and the title and... She wants me on the ultimate fighter. Who am I going to go against? All right, great. End up going against John. Now, I don't know anything about this. I was having lunch with a friend. I left my phone in the car. I come back to my phone and I'm lit up. My phone is going crazy, but one of them was Kevin Ioli. And Kevin Ioli is telling me that I am going to be on the ultimate fighter and I'm going to fight John Jones for the world championship. I don't know any of these things. So I'm saying, Kevin, what are you talking about? What's your source? He said, What's my source? Dana just announced it to the press. He hadn't told me. I didn't know. So I'm, I'm celebrating. Yes, yes, I wanted to fight John. I thought I could beat this guy. Want to fight for a championship? I wanted to do the ultimate fighter, right? Everything's going old Chael's way. And my plan worked. Couldn't be prouder of myself. I'd have one of these moments. I'm just sharing this backstory with you guys now. So we go to the ultimate fighter. I had a lot of good moments with John. Like we went into that thing pretty hot towards each other. Now we're finally around each other. And the heat cooled pretty quickly. Like, he was just a regular guy, and I think he saw that I was a regular guy, and he was really good at what he did, and he saw that I worked hard and wanted to be really good at what I did. There was just a respect there. So the fight happens, John wins, and everything's cool in the gang. It's behind us. It's, It's the way it goes. Shake hands and walk away. Sometimes that's easier said than done. In this case, it happened. Somewhere along the way, John starts taking shots at me for PEDS. Now, I fought him. I know his secret. I was willing to keep his secret. It was honor amongst thieves, right? But when he started publicly speaking about it, I was a little bit bothered. And he was taking that real high-handed approach, that real how how could you type mentality. And he went a little far with it. And you'll always know a fellow user. You can just look at them. There's things that it happens to your body that only you know once you're doing it. So when you spot somebody else, you always know. But you can also get a very good indicator by some of their interviews, right? By some of the interviews with the great denials when they're never being asked. I mean, this is a rule amongst the FBI. The FBI will tell you if they bring somebody in that they have a suspect and that guy offers his alibi before they ever asked for it, they got their man. If a guy ever comes in and goes, couldn't have been me I was at the such and such. As a matter of fact, here's a receipt. Why, why would you possibly have a receipt? And why would you possibly offer it to us before we even asked you? You got your guy. So when John was doing some of this stuff, it bothered me, but I still kept my mouth shut. I never said anything about it. And he started throwing some real stones my way. I let it go. And I thought it was a little bit underhanded only because if we're in the spirit of keeping each other's names out there because we're going to go do business and we're going to be partners together, fair game. We're, that's behind us. We're not going to do that. There was a time and a place you could have done that, but we're not there anymore. Why are you doing that when you're much more guilty than me? Okay. Got my mouth shut. Never said anything about it. He finally gets hit. And when he gets hit, you know, it's one of these things where, what took you so long? And instead of copying to it, he takes the other approach. And you you only have two options. Come as clean as you can as quickly as you can, or take it to the grave with denial. There's no in-between. And once you make your play, you got to stand on it. He made his play. I'm taking this thing to the grave. So now I'm speaking up, right? Now it's payback time. All the stuff you said about me. All, so we're having a little back and forth. And it wasn't much more heated than what I'm speaking right now. I just said my piece about what he was doing how long he had been doing it. He'd fought OSP. It was the one fight where he fought clean. It was the worst performance he had. All due respect to John. And the worst performance he ever had. He won every single round. But it looked like a different John. Because it was. He then ends up in the picogram. So now that I've come at him, even though he did it first, he didn't look at it that way. Well, everything Chale said about me, I said about him, and I went first. Instead of looking at it like that, he just thought I was wrong, which also pissed me off, right? There's a code even when you're fighting. Even when you're fighting, you have to be objective enough to know, did you say these same things, and who did it first? If you went first, you can't be bad at the guy that did the same thing, except he did second. No honor. Dirty fighter. He had no honor. So... The picogram happens, and the picogram was one of the great swerves in recent memory because the question was this, would a picogram help John? The answer to the question by all of the experts which weighed in to get John licensed was no. That's the correct answer. A picogram of that steroid would not help John. That's true. That never should have been the question. Here's how steroids work, just so you guys understand. Okay, performance enhancers. You put them into your system. They're in your system. They start to go away. So you take more. They start to go away. So you take more. They start to go away. It's called a cycle. Now, you will have benefits as long as it's in your system, no matter how low. Once it's completely out of your system, you will have benefits for up to six months. No less than four, but up to six months. So when they asked what a picogram of this substance help John, and the answer for the experts came back, no, the experts knew the truth. The experts knew that's not the question that should be asked. Does a picogram left help you? Yes. Heavens yes. Not even a maybe. Once you're at no grams, you still have four to six months. Okay. I explained this accurately. Everything I just said is extremely accurate. John didn't like that, right? John decided to be upset by this. So John comes on one time and Ariel and I are going to conduct an interview. And John, while live, refuses to speak to me. Okay. That could have been very bad for me. It wasn't. It could have been. Why am I there? Why would the network have me there if an athlete isn't going to talk to me? Do you see the problem? Now, the network defended me. I ended up being okay. But it's the thought that counts. And he knew what his intent was. And his intent was very damaging. You come after a guy's livelihood, it's very different than you do a little back and forth about you know who did what and what secrets do you know. It's, it's very different. Dirty fighter. That's a dirty move. You do not do that. And I did not do that to him. I never even spoke up on the picogram debacle and the swerve of the question of does this help you as opposed to remaining help you until he had his license. I didn't say one word until it was done and he was free to fight. But he came after me. He may not see it the way I just said it. Everything I just said happened, happened. Some of that is my interpretation. That's fair. So we get in this back and forth and it it never ends. And it, it was one of these things where you can refuse to talk to me today. You fight twice a year. You're going to be invited here twice a year. I'm going to be here every week. So do you think it's a good idea to get into it knowing that? And now I've lost respect for him. Right now, it's you. Now you're just a dum dum. In addition to everything else, now you're a dum dum. Now I'm frustrated, right? I mean, this is how we got here. Why do I keep going after? This is how we got here. He went first. He I went second. We can be done. Nope. He went third. Okay, great. I'll go fourth. We can be done. Nope. He came back fifth, and so it keeps getting pinged back and forth. And for a meaningful period of time, I have waited to go last, have the final say, he shuts up and we're all done here. But he always gives me just enough. He always comes back in some way. So how do I interpret John blocking me? How does one of the toughest guys in the world be so sensitive that letters on Twitter from total strangers change his day, whether he's having a positive day or a negative day? And I can associate myself into this one too, right? When he finally, he refused to fight me, publicly refused. And as he started to give in, because we're going to go do the ultimate fighter, he actually sent out a tweet and said, I'm starting to change my mind. Maybe I will give this guy a beating. What do you guys think? Question mark. Now, with all due respect, I will never ask you what you think, because I don't need your opinion. I've already got it figured out. You don't come to me for a back and forth. You come to me to tell you the final say because it stops with me. And this little insecure champion of the world needed the opinion of the public because somewhere along the way he said he wasn't gonna do something that he now finds out is a really good idea to go and do. I don't ask you your opinion. You ever been in that spot? You ever been a kid, you get in trouble at school, principal brings you in, principal says, what do you think we should do with you? I don't ask my kids that. I don't ask him what I should do. I already got it figured out. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. It was a great week of shows. I can't thank you enough for continuing to follow the show on Apple, Spotify, all these different places. Your support means the world to me, and I promise I'll be back next week to get you set for UFC 264. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.